The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 17 or a Bible app. And there are Bibles in the back. Exodus chapter 17. We're going to begin in just a moment looking at verse 8 and following. Exodus 17, verse 8 and following. Let me pray for God's help. Spirit of God, would you open the eyes of our hearts to behold wondrous things out of your word, we pray. Amen. Exodus 17, starting at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Thank you, Joe, so much. The attack was entirely unprovoked. We didn't do anything to... Deserve this. I know this oasis is coveted ground, but these Amalekites are our distant relatives. They are descendants of Esau. Remember him? Think back to our history. There was Abraham, and then there was Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. We're descended from Jacob. They're descended from Esau. We're like distant cousins, very many times removed. But did you hear what they did to us? They attacked us when we were faint and weary, Deuteronomy 25. They attacked our rear guard. They, they attacked those who were struggling behind, families with small children, the elderly, the sick, the infirmed. And there is no fear of God in these people, and they are, they are opposing us. As we seek to journey toward the land God promised to us, no wonder, no wonder Moses told Joshua to choose some men to go to war. Yeah, I got chosen too. No, Moses is not going with us. I know, that seems strange. He's going to take the staff of God up the hill where we can see him. He's going to be there holding the staff of God. Why does that matter? Well, it matters a lot. I mean, have you forgotten? By that staff, God turned the water of the Nile into blood. 
By that staff, God brought frogs and gnats and locusts onto Egypt in judgment. By that staff, God parted the the Reed Sea so we could pass through on dry ground. That staff represents the power of God in our midst as he has brought us to freedom. The next day. Yeah, I see them. Moses is up on the hill with, looks like Aaron and her. Look, Moses is raising the staff of God. He's got it up in the air. And the Amalekites are struggling. They look defeated. They're stumbling around. Yes, let's attack. Wait, for some reason, Moses has lowered his arms. And the Amalekites look renewed and strengthened. And here they come. No, wait. He's struggling to get his arms back up. Okay, go forward. Oh, no, Moses is really tired now. They're putting a stone underneath him. His hands are drooping. This is not good. Here they come. Retreat, retreat. No, wait. There's Aaron and her on either side propping up his arms. The staff of God is staying in the air. We're prevailing. The Amalekites are fleeing. We won. We won the battle. No, you're right. The Lord won. The Lord won this battle. His power carried the day, didn't it? You know, I tell the story that way because I think we're supposed to feel some of the back and forth of the battle and realize and picture what really made the difference. You see, Israel's just two months removed from slavery, and God is teaching his people to trust him. First, to trust him for their daily bread, the provision of manna. Second, to trust him for provisions like water, bringing water from a rock. And now, to trust God, to trust God as they face their enemies as they pass through the wilderness. So God tells Moses in verse 14, write this as a memorial in a book, in a scroll, and and recite it, rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, the future leader of Israel. Record this account of this battle, Moses, and, and remind Joshua about it. Don't let him forget. Why? Why was this so important to remember? Well, this is Israel's first taste of war, but not the last. And so God wanted them to retain a vital lesson, a vital lesson. Now, some say this passage is about Moses' posture as a posture of prayer or intercession, and that is certainly legitimate application. Others say Moses' hands were raised as a a call to charge, a, a call to go forward and attack. Perhaps they did that. But the point of the lesson is really about God, first and foremost. The battle turned, didn't it? The battle turned on whether Moses' hands were raised or lowered because he's holding the staff of God in his hands, the staff by which God turned the Nile into blood and brought judgment on Egypt, parted the Reed Sea, the staff, friends, the staff of God, It represents the power of God. 
the staff of God symbolized, reminded Israel of God's power in their midst. So the lesson we could phrase, I think, the lesson for Israel was our battles. Our battles going forward must be fought by the power of God. Our battles, they would learn, must be fought by the power of God. You you see how Moses sort of applies this lesson in verse 15. In verse 15, Moses builds an altar to God and calls its name the Lord. Yahweh is my banner. The great I am. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He is my banner. I, I have enjoyed a series of historical novels that are set in the Viking invasions of present, what is now present-day England centuries ago, and their armies always came behind a banner. They were rallied behind a certain banner, and a lot of attention is given to the banner of each army. It might be a snarling wolf or a majestic eagle or a lightning bolt. The, the banner was like a symbol on their football helmet. It was showing your allegiance. And so Israel here, they are identifying with Yahweh, identifying with his cause and trusting his power. As Moses says in verse 16, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Or your your translation might say a hand upon the banner of the Lord. It's a difficult verse apparently to translate. But what you have before you in the English Standard Version, if you have that before you, fits the context well. By God's power, from his throne, Israel must fight her battles. A vital lesson as they would travel through the wilderness, encountering various enemies and friends, a vital lesson for you and me. You see, their experience is a type, a picture, a pattern of our own experience. That's that's important to know as we read the book of Exodus. Their experience is what's called a type, a a, a picture, a pattern, a certain pattern of our own experience. For the Christian, we too have been delivered from bondage, from slavery to sin. We too are heading to the ultimate promised land, a new heavens and a new earth. And we too travel through the wilderness of this world, facing our own enemies. But, but. Our enemies are not other people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul says. Friends, despite what any political pundit may say, your battle is not against people who might vote differently or think differently or have different values from you. Ours is a spiritual battle. We face spiritual warfare within and spiritual warfare without. So apply the lesson to us. Our spiritual battles must be fought 
by the power of God. Isn't that the takeaway? As we see Moses holding up the staff of God, representing the power of God, as we see the battle turning on the staff of God being raised high, isn't the lesson, friends, that our spiritual battles must be fought by the power of God himself. So, so you might be asking, you should ask, where do we look to behold the power of God like that? What, what's the proverbial staff we hold up as God's power to us and for us? Where are we to see the power of God like that? Well, I think the New Testament helps us out quite a bit there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, The word of the cross. The message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross, shorthand for the entirety of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return. Or, maybe more simply, Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, declaring them righteous by faith alone. And so if you're here this morning and you've yet to experience that power, we're so glad you're here. I do believe you're in the right place, and I want to, I want to appeal to you to listen and realize that you too, friend, need to turn to Christ and trust in Christ as the power of God to rescue you, to bring you out of yourself to him. I urge you to turn to him. Friends, the staff we hold high is a bloody, glorious cross, an empty tomb, an occupied throne, and a returning Savior. See, for the Christian, your situation is a lot like that in World War II. Oscar Kuhlmann, a Swiss theologian, used this analogy, and I borrow it semi-regularly around here. After D-Day, after D-Day, the successful Allied landing on the beaches of Normandy, after D-Day, you could argue that victory in Europe was assured. You could argue that Hitler's fate was sealed once that landing was accomplished successfully and the Allied beachhead established, but a lot of fighting after D-Day occurred. A lot of fighting between D-Day and VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, about 11 months later. Friends, intense fighting in Europe between D-Day and VE Day. All kinds of hard battles happen between D-Day and V-E-Day, and your situation is like that. Jesus Christ has already won the victory. That's your D-Day. The decisive battle has already taken place. Christ has been crucified, is risen, is reigning, and is returning. D-Day has been accomplished. The victory is sure. The outcome of the war is certain. But VE Day, when Christ returns, has not yet happened, if you were wondering. That was a joke. 
You live between D-Day, the cross and resurrection, and V-E-Day, Christ's return. Between your D-Day and your V-E-Day, there's a lot of difficult fighting. The outcome of the war is certain. Lots of hard days of warfare until then. So we fight like we behold in Exodus 17. We fight beholding the power of God, trusting in the power of God, relying on the power of God. Christ crucified, risen, reigning, returning. You see, Christ has conquered Satan, sin, and death. So let's think about each briefly. Let's think about those categories. We're making New Testament application now, okay? Think about our spiritual battle against what the Bible calls Satan, the accuser, the demonic realm. Colossians 2 says, at the cross, at the cross, Christ disarmed rulers and authorities. He disarmed demonic rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphing over them. So friends, in reality, the accuser has been defeated at the cross, but until our VE day happens, he still accuses, does he not? And he still condemns. You know, God could not love you the way you failed this week. He used to love you, not you. You have forfeited his favor. Look at what you've done. You call yourself a child of God? Really? You're, you're, you're a hypocrite being here. You're no child of God. A child of God wouldn't think what you think and do what you do and react like you did. Are you hearing those things? Been paralyzed by condemnation? Anyone? Right there, friends, right there. You and I need to do what the believers are described as having done in Revelation chapter 12. We have this for you. Revelation chapter 12. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their Testimony. They conquered the accuser on the ground of, on the basis of, Jesus' sacrificial death. As D.A. Carson comments, Satan is silenced. Catch this. Satan is silenced when we insist that our acceptance before God is grounded not in ourselves, but in the death of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to read that again. You want to hear that again? <laughs> Satan is silenced when we insist, when we believe and apply Christ crucified, when we, when we insist that our acceptance before God is grounded not in ourselves, but in the death of Christ. Isn't that raising the staff of God high? Second, our spiritual battle against sin within. 
against sin within must be fought by the power of God in Christ. You know that battle, don't you? I do, you do. VE day has not yet come. It might be indulging pornography. It might be indulging anger in an unjustified way. It might be with myself, impatience with other drivers on the freeway who don't drive with the excellence with which I drive. Look, whatever the battle is for you, you engage in that warfare by God's power, holding the staff, as it were, believing and applying good news on your behalf. You make the Lord your banner right there in that battle. I love the example of Philippians chapter 2. It's so instructive. There was conflict in the church, conflict between members, which means warfare in their hearts. So the Apostle Paul calls them to have the same mind, same love, be in full accord. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Look to others' interests, not just your own. That's a pretty hefty battle plan. That's challenging. And you already see how uh, he asked them to do it. How could you do that? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, here comes the staff, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, literally a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross. When people in conflict hold up that staff and seek to have the mind of Christ, that's transformative. They suddenly remember the one who counted you more significant than himself, who looked to your interests and not his own who humbled himself even to a shameful death on a cross. Friends, fighting under that sign, that banner, enables you to die to self, enables you to prioritize others, it enables you to live a life of love. You know, a, a theology of change a theology of formation, a theology of becoming more Christ-like, it begins with believing and applying the gospel. That's all he's doing in Philippians 2. You change by believing and applying the gospel. There's more to it for sure, but that's primary. For then you're holding up the staff of God. One more. We fight against, friends, we fight against the hopelessness and despair 
of our last enemy, death. We fight against that hopelessness and despair by the power of God in Christ, holding up the staff of the good news. When a loved one dies in Christ, we grieve as we should. But in the greatness of that pain, there is hope, isn't there? The dead in Christ will rise. When facing our own death, which I think about more at 56 years old, we can do so without despair because we know the founder and perfecter of our faith has crossed that threshold already. He tasted death for you already and overcame it in your place. So we raise that staff. We fight under that banner. We fight against the hopelessness and despair, beholding God's power in Jesus and declaring with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 these wonderful words, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, can you tell me? Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ has the victory. Our spiritual battles must be fought by the power of God in Christ. That's, friends, that's, that's battle strategy number one. Believe and apply the gospel. But certainly, as I said, pray. 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 While I don't think this passage is necessarily depicting Moses in prayer. Prayer is a great way, a great way to apply this passage. Prayer is acknowledging our need for God's power in the battle. I mean, can't you relate to poor Moses feeling tired and weak? Friends, we are very much like Moses. The opposite of acknowledging your weakness is self-sufficiency. And the self-sufficient person doesn't pray. And I know a lot about that myself. Self-sufficiency is like, it's like carbon monoxide poisoning in your house. You can't, you can't smell it. You can't really sense it. But it's, it's subtle, but it's dangerous. You know, coal miners used to bring canaries into the coal mines, right? So if the bird died... That was a warning of poisonous gases, like carbon monoxide. You know, prayerlessness is kind of like a canary in the coal mine for us. It means we're doing spiritual battle in our own strength. And that's not a good battle plan. I can testify. So friends, bring, bring your needs to God in prayer. Behold his power. And, and one more thing, include his people. Include his people. As Moses needed Aaron and her to hold up his hands, don't you need those around you holding you up in all kinds of ways? You know, fellowship is crucial in the fight. Fellowship is crucial in the fight. Sung and I have been enjoying two home groups simultaneously, both of which we love very, very much. And we have been uh, just 
attending, as it were, the Moon Home Group, the home group led by Scott and Jossie Moon, and, and really very grateful for just being able to attend and be cared for by that group, experience Scott and Jossie's um, gracious, gracious, kind love. And last Sunday, we spent the meeting hearing how we could pray for each other and then prayed for each other at length. You know, you could go home and you could think, why, why did I come today? What was that all about? You know what that was? That was warfare. That was warfare, friends. That was fighting together against sin and fighting together against discouragement, and fighting together against unbelief, and fighting together for faith and hope and love, all by God's power, holding the staff up and holding each other up. So I want to ask you in conclusion, where is the spiritual battle raging for you right now? Where is that? Where is the front line of faith, in the fight for faith, rather? Where is the front line in the fight for faith right now? Is it accusations you're hearing in your soul? Is it condemnation in your heart? Is it, is it sin within or conflict without? Is it that hopelessness or despair? Friends, right there, lift up the banner that Moses lifted up. The Lord is my banner. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to identify with him. I'm going to raise the staff of God's power. I'm going to hope in his power toward me in Christ. And so, number one, believe and apply the good news. The good news of Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. Believe and apply the gospel. Number two, pray. Number three, involve his people. Four, our spiritual battles which are real, must be fought by the power of God in Christ. Let's pray together, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Friends, would you, in the quiet of your heart, just respond to the Lord, respond to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's been speaking to you about. If you've yet to surrender to and trust in this glorious Savior and his power, you can do that right now. Acknowledge your need for forgiveness of sins. Acknowledge your need to be reconciled to God and flee to Jesus by faith. He's eager to bring you home. For others, ask God to enable you to believe and apply good news for that fight.
raise up the staff of God's power. Behold your God and how he wishes to meet you and help you right now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this, this picture, this glorious reminder of our need for your power. It is so hope-giving. And so, Holy Spirit, would you raise our hearts and minds in hope right now? Would you help us as we take the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper to sense communion with you and great hope in you, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.